Hey, what's up? I'm Aaron Lewis, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Gary Peel from the band Boston, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 414 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you their best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. In episode 414, we are joined by David Lauser. David uh, is in a band called Alliance with uh, Robert Barry and Gary Peel, uh, which we'll talk about in a moment. David also, uh, many, many years as the drummer for Sammy Hagar, played with him uh, through most of Sammy's solo albums pre-Van Halen, played with Sammy and the Wabaritos and the Sammy Hagar solo albums since Van Halen, uh, so he's had quite a long career in that regard. Also uh, in the band, Robert Barry, who has played with um, in a band called Three, uh, that was Keith Emerson, uh, Carl Palmer and Robert Berry. Uh, we spoke to uh, Robert Berry, I believe it was late last year, about 3.2, an album he had done, so you want to go back and check that out. Also, he's played with Greg Kinn, a uh, number of other musicians, uh, and also in that band on guitar, Gary Peel. Gary, who has been with Boston for, I believe, going back to the third stage tour, uh, we've had him on the show a couple times as well. Gary was obviously in Sammy Hagar's band as well. So they're in, all to collect, collectively Robert and Gary and uh, David are collectively known as Alliance. Uh, they have a new album out called Fire and Grace. So we're going to play you a little bit of that album. Then we're going to get into a, a very long and I hope very interesting uh, for you conversation with David Lauser. So let's check out a little Alliance and we'll get into that interview. Life is for living, no looking back 
Sammy and I go you, way back. We met. As you say, you 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 go back pre Montrose, really, with Sammy, correct? Well, I don't know how much tape you have, but I'll just say I'll be concise as possible. My fiance sure. is always on me about being long. All my wives and friends are always like you're long winded, but <laughs> the, the, the the chronology chronology is this, John. In 19... Oh, God, I'm dating myself. I was a junior in high school in 1968-ish. And Sammy joined my second band. It was like a garage band. We played out a little bit. He's a little older, but he's a late bloomer. I was working with a bunch of older guys who I thought were older. They were like in their early 20s. So I thought I had made it. I was like, wow, I'm playing with a guy that's 23 years old and I'm 17 I'm, you know, I didn't even think I was good. I was just like, I'm cool, you know. This is mm-hmm. fun. And anyway, Sammy came to the rehearsal through a mutual friend. He actually auditioned for the band, and I was cocky at that time, much cockier than I, you know, you humble with age. But I remember asking the older leader of the band, "Who's this guy, and what can he do?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh, he played "Sunshine in Your Love" by Cream, and played. He sang and played it. That was the song we tried him out on, and he played the solo note for note. And I was going, "This guy's cool. I love him." And from then on, the guy was like an older brother. We were buddies. We played bars and clubs. Moved to San Francisco. He connected with Montrose. We stayed in touch, but he mm-hmm. went off to what we all thought he's made it. And you yeah. know, Sam will talk about it now. When he was playing in Montrose, they were they were not rich. They were not. Montrose was not famous until it, it, it kind of like took took up steam later, almost like famous artists. They all died poor, right? But Montrose was not, Absolutely. you know, they they were like an under like a cult. Like people were like really hip to them. All the musicians dig rock candy in that era. Like every drummer I know when they come to a show when we were playing they go oh I'd love to sit in and play Rock Candy you know I've played that song a thousand times but uh sure you know Montrose was Sammy's launching pad that was him to get out there and, and really get his confidence together and be a front man without a guitar in his hands I always knew him as a, he always had a guitar in his hands when I first saw him play Montrose it was weird for me to see him stand there without a guitar and I think it was him for him as well. He felt a little naked at first. You, you could tell, you know what I mean? Yeah, you could even see that when he was in Van Halen. It just it seemed right to see him with a guitar. Yeah. You know, as, you know, as odd as that's... Uh, can, can, in your perception, I, I think, you know, you're kind of looking at this in a different chronology. I think a lot of people in my generation sort of looked at Sammy Hagar almost first as a solo artist you know that was my first experience with him was you know here's yeah. the guy who sang you know heavy metal and you know uh, wrote the big hit for Rick Springfield and some things like that and then you know it was like okay well there was Montrose but Montrose didn't get a lot of at least in Pittsburgh a lot of airplay no. you know in the 80s so it was almost kind of like Sammy in a way helped break Montrose as weird as that sounds no, it doesn't. to some of us it doesn't no. because is exactly that? people go back and check out the catalogs or mm-hmm. we, Sammy continued to play I mean one of his mainstay songs on stage was Bad Motor Scooter and uh, right. that's like that's that's one that's like a signature song where you, the lap slide the whole thing 
<clears throat> you know, so it's, that's, you know what? I never even thought of it that way, but you're you're right on with that. Like he, I don't know if you knew this, but like I think in 2008 or around that time, boy, with all as the years go by, John, I don't know how old you are. We won't get into that, but uh, <laughs> it's like you. everything seems to kind of like blur a little bit. But Montrose came Amen. out, and we did a reunion. Sammy Hagar and the Wabos did a reunion tour with Montrose where they played with us on one tour. Mm -hmm. I forget how many dates we did. And it was Bill Church, Denny, Sammy, and Montrose. So we, uh, I think we opened, if, if that sounds odd, it was Sammy that came out and we did our show and then Montrose came out and did like six, seven songs. So that was a trip mm -hmm. for me. Uh, for everybody yeah so, so in, in, in essence what you're saying is completely true and it happened because he more or less brought that band back to life in front of the crowd that knew him as Van Halen singer if you know what I mean sure you know? yeah and I was kind of a tweeter <clears throat> where I mean I think the advent of MTV and, and you almost can't understand how important the video for I Can't Drive 55 was because it was you know, it was everywhere, and really, you know, that helped, I think, a lot of us realize who he was, and, and then you look at, you know, then you could say, okay, well, I remember the, I do remember a video for Three Lock Box, for example, um, you know, and, and some things like that, but then you go back and you listen to the Montrose, and then obviously it just exploded with his career with, with Van Halen. But, oh, yeah. You know, it, it was, it was interesting to see how his career progressed uh and, and you know and it was awesome that you know you were there for a large part of that i mean you know oh, to I, go back and you know you stepped in to you know sammy's band um you know just as it, it started to really take off in the video era i think helped that the movie heavy metal certainly drew attention to his his work um I gotta say, I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's musicians that are listening to this or will listen or people that, you know, follow music, obviously. Mm -hmm. But sure. I can honestly say a couple things on an emotional level. When Sammy joined Montrose, we were in a bar band called the Justice Brothers, and I was just a pup. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I was mm -hmm. wet behind. I wanted to be a funk jazz drummer. I started out playing rock, obviously, me and Sammy. But as I got older and I was in San Francisco, it was almost kind of like turning my nose up to rock. I was like thinking it wasn't really as hip or complex as other types of music. I mean, that may sound crazy, sure. but that's where I was at. I was like kind of becoming a, uh, what do you call it, like almost a snob about... Yeah, jazz people. snob. Yeah. Well, not jazz, but more funk and, and fusion, sure. you know. Uh, you know, funk, like Tower of Power blew my mind. I saw them play live, and I met David Garibaldi. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. Anyways, Sam clearly defined himself. He had written, I'm going to tell you something, he had written, uh, he wrote Bad Motor Scooter, Make It Last, and uh, I Don't Want It. Doodle -doodle -doodle -doodle. He had those songs written when we were in the Justice Brothers. He showed them to the band and a couple of other people that were a little older and a bit more savvy musically were like, eh, it's okay. Got what I'm saying? So so it was almost like yeah. the band he was in was snubbing his songwriting. Right. Then he gets the audition with Montrose, and if you look at that first Montrose record, I'll give you a little inside information. 
Ronnie got a lot of credit on songs that weren't necessarily his songs, but because he yeah. brought some music to it, etc. You know, like this riff or that riff. And Sam, now I'm I'm speaking. You know, you can quote me on this from my perspective, but I know for a fact that I heard those songs before Ronnie was in the picture. And in other mm-hmm. words, he sat on an acoustic guitar and went, "Hey, bro, check out this." You know. <clears throat> I remember his lyric about I'm sick and tired of making I'm in a job making toothpicks out of logs I thought that was kind of a trippy lyric he showed me that mm-hmm. stuff in 1974 or 3 anyway the point is is that the reason I say this is like Sammy joined Montrose and in my eyes as a young musician I was like whoa my brother my buddy has made it I was not bitter in fact, I was in awe. It was kind of almost like, whoa, I didn't know he was this good. And then we did the 80s thing, like you said, with uh, mm-hmm. all the Geff- I was on all the Geffen records. That was the first stuff I ever recorded professionally. I was like on Cloud Nine. I've been playing yeah. in bars and clubs and playing a lot of pop music. I- I'd like to say, and I'm going to toot my horn here, slap me if you need to. But I brought a little bit of pop into those records, more so than the previous Cats. And Sam, I think he recognized that. We, there was, we had a great rapport. Uh, Standing Hampton, we spent almost eight months in his studio, the two of us, demoing out that record. We had like thir- 27 songs. I still have the tapes. He had a lot of material for that. And then John Collodner sort of cherry-picked what he thought were the best songs. Anyway, the point is, yeah. we did all that, and then he did the Van Halen thing, and again, it was almost like take two. My buddy, yeah. my boss, my best friend, has now got like even more stardom. I can honestly say I wasn't bitter. I was a little freaked, because we were riding yeah. high. After after sure. DOA record, we were getting ready to do a tour in Japan, and then... Farm Aid was our last gig with Eddie Van Halen. I don't know if you remember that or not. It was 1985, September yeah. 22nd. We played Farm Aid, the first Farm Aid. Eddie came out and jammed a couple songs, and that was goodbye. But uh, Yeah, that was... Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, uh, then he gets was, out of Van Halen in 96, calls me up, and says, Hey, bro, uh guess what the brothers fired me i don't you know I, I forget exactly what he said but he didn't say he quit you know and he goes uh right. something to the effect of uh you want a gig and i was like hell yeah <laughs> so it was like three lightning, lightning strikes struck three times for me you know yeah uh, yeah that's, anyway uh, that's that's my uh, little bit but we do go yeah, back and it's fun to see, see how um you know Almost, you know, he's had a way, you know, of sort of reinventing himself. You know, when you look at what the solo band was, what his music in Van Halen was, and then I think probably the thing that struck me was, and I don't know how intentional this was, if it was a kind of a, a playing on the Cabo Wabo experience, but how you know yourself included in the Wabaritos became much more of a party band um you know not that the music really changed that much i I don't listen to you know some of you know the post van halen albums and say this is a huge departure from what you know you guys did prior to van halen but you know the stage show became so much more fun it became more of an event you know it, it kind of 
piggybacked on what Jimmy Buffett was doing and totally. you know, some Kenny Chesney type thing. And I thought that was brilliant. You know, you're taking an audience that's getting older, you know, along with you, you know, and I think a lot of musicians don't realize that is as they age, their audience ages and made it a more, you know, fun event as opposed to a, a heavy metal concert. Exactly. Um, you know, not that you guys necessarily were a heavy metal band the way, you know, Judas Priest was or anything like that. No, but, we... Um, yeah, you know, there, there was some, some smart marketing that went into that, whether it was intentional or not intentional. It was intentional. to the, It was one of those kind of things where you, you know, you find a nugget and you pick it up and you polish it. You know, like, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say this much. While Sammy was in Van Halen, uh, I love your interpretation of this. I mean, i, I got to give you some love on it because it's pretty astute. Uh, I, I don't even think of it that much. At the time, it blew my mind when he said to me, "Bro, I'm gonna put bleachers on stage, and the fans will be behind us, and it'll be like they're." Mm -hmm. Well, the impetus for that, which I, was that he wanted to bring Cabo Wabo Cantina on the road. He wanted to mm -hmm. create that intimate. Here's the deal: when he was in Van Halen, like they, they bought that club together, they invested. Sam was living down there. He he he. He was going down to Cabo San Lucas in the, in the late 80s or early 80s as a place to go to vacation. No one knew about it. It was like sure. maybe maybe a town of maybe two or 300 people. There were dirt roads. There was nothing. I, my first time down there was 93 when he, the, he bought the, the shares of Van Halen out. They didn't really dig it. And he wanted to start having like some events down there at the club, at the cantina. Sure. Anyway, the short story is, he invite. I was playing in bar bands. He was in 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 Van Halen. We were still in touch as friends, and and mm -hmm. you know, I did I did some recording with him after Van Halen, a couple of records, which was fantastic. I had a ball. But anyway, he said, "Bro, I want you to come down to Cabo, and me and you and Mikey, we can jam, and other people jam. I mean, like uh, Lars from Metallica came down, Matt Storm from." Uh, Guns N' Roses it was like a big party jam session and it was sort of like people would just be in the club not knowing who would show up and then all of a sudden there were all these people on stage you know that myself I was going whoa this is cool you know and then it turned into an event then it turned into the birthday bash where people from all over the world toward you know the end of the 90s they were mm -hmm. coming down there for that four-day week or whatever at Sammy's club for his birthday. So that's what he did. He said, I want to, at one point, our first tour after he got out of Van Halen was more serious. We did the Marching to Mars tour, which was, I think right. Sam wanted to prove himself as an artist beyond Van Halen. Like, hey, I'm also an artist in my own right. Then he got tired of that and realized, you know what? Let's just have fun, because I'll say this about Sam: the guy enjoys life. He's like he's like a rock and roll Frank Sinatra. He, I, he's not like he's right. a total party freak, uh, you know. But he definitely it's about a good time and not real serious. So mm -hmm. it was uh, basically the whole impetus was: what if I have a show across the United States that depicts what we do in Cabo San Lucas? And it really yeah. worked. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
once in a while, people you know, I think, be like throwing stuff at you from behind you or whatever, you know. But anyway, yeah. I think obviously with with Mas Tequila and in, in the from the Red Voodoo album, you know, sort of gave us a you know a, a little bit of an anthem for that kind of thing. You know, it was a, totally. it was a fantastic song, it, you know, very anthemic, um, you know, and really I think made people say, you know, this is a good time, you know, and like I said, it, not to compare it necessarily to exactly what Jimmy Buffett did, but it had a very similar feel. You know, you had people kind of showing up and dressed up and, you know, having a great time. And that was, you know, I think the, the right thing at the right time. And, you know, it, it made for a, a great show. But um, to to get, I guess, towards, you know, what brought us together today, you and, and Gary <laughs> um, obviously, you know, have been playing together for quite a long time. And, Robert, um, you guys have done several Alliance albums now, and you've just released a new one. Right. Um, you know, obviously, Gary has been very busy with Boston for, for many years now, um, but uh, many more than I care to remember now at this point, you know, I think back on that. But um, how how did this album come about? It's been a number of years since you guys have put on an album. I know Robert was just on our show last fall with his three album. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what brought it all together now for it to be the right time for a new Alliance album? So you talk, you're asking me what brought this the latest record together? Or? Yeah, how did how did yeah. that come together? You well, know, in I, 2019. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So then, obviously, you know the basic history of Alliance, what what how that mm-hmm. all formed, whatever. Uh, sure. Which, oddly enough, I will say this before I talk about the record, John Kolodner, who signed Sammy Hagar to Geffen Records, like when I joined. For Standing Hampton. Mm-hmm. In other words, Sammy was with he was with Capitol when I joined his band in nineteen late nineteen eighty. He was in between record deals, and John Kolodner was the guy. People don't really know who he is, maybe, but he was instrumental in Aerosmith's second wind career. All yeah. that. If you watch like the a, making of Pump, you yeah, know, you really get a feel for who John Kolodner oh. is. Kolodner really was he really was genius. He got. John Lennon on Geffen Records. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, but anyway, he's one of these guys that he's not a musician, but he sort of knows how to orchestrate and politically put people together. So, John Kolodner, when Sammy joined Van Halen, told me and Gary told me specifically to look up this guy Robert Berry, because Robert Berry was had been with uh, with you know, he knew Robert from Keith Emerson and uh, mm-hmm. Carl Palmer in three. I believe they were on Geffen Records, yeah. So it's kind of like a family affair. It's a Geffen Records thing. But anyway, Rodner sure. is responsible for the people who are alive. I mean, for me and Robert knowing each other. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, about the record, God, it's a mind blower. But it took, we're looking at maybe eight years of like yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's it's been a number of years since you guys put out the last one. Right. Well, what it is is I live in the Bay Area. I don't live in the Bay Area now. That's another story. But you know, Gary's on the East Coast in Boston. Me and Robert live in the in San Francisco Bay Area. Robert's down near San Jose. I'm up in Marin County. Sammy is is out of Marin County, and that's where my gig is. But Robert and I. Uh, in fact, Robert was part of that mix 
of people that go to Cabo San Lucas. A couple times, Mikey couldn't make it, Michael Anthony. Robert was the bass mm-hmm. player for, for a couple bashes. So, anyway, it's kind of like a, it's a little incestuous, as it were, you know. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> you know, but... Uh, yeah, but I mean, that builds chemistry, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, familiarity. Robert, Robert and I, uh, God, I can't, it's amazing how many years we've been doing this. I, you know, and I gotta say, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping around, but Robert has a studio. Robert is, how can I say this? He plays everything. He's caught, he's a concert, he's a, he's a classically trained pianist. I'll say it properly. Mm-hmm. He really is. His father and mother were like big band musicians. He grew up in that. He, he's definitely got the talent, but he was also the environment. So he plays drums, guitar, bass classical piano, all the keyboards, sings, writes, produces, mixes, and dances. No, he doesn't dance. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so this guy has a studio, a recording studio, where he can actually do a whole, like people come in and want a soundtrack or whatever, he'll play all the parts. During the whole, when I was working with Sammy, when there'd be downtime, if he was too busy, he'd throw me like some work. He'd go, hey, Bowser. Uh, I got a worker coming in here. He'd really be jazzed if you were the drummer on it. I'm too busy. You know, I like to think that I play a little better than Robert on drums, but he can actually cut it. You know, I'll give him that much. Right. He actually, he actually plays as well. I'm kidding, you know, but he, he doesn't really play drums primarily. That's my gig. So anyway, I was playing a lot of, he gave me a lot of the work. So even when... Alliance wasn't busy and doing stuff. We were doing stuff together. He was producing and I was mm-hmm. recording with him. It was a lot sure. of fun. So anyway, over the years, the last record we did was Road to Heaven, which I think was amazing. Uh, great record, a lot of great songs. That was like, what was it, 2009, 8? So, uh, anyway, who's counting? Uh, Robert. It was 2008. Yeah. Was, was that when it came out? Yeah. I don't know. We did a live gig in 2010. I put together a show in St. Louis at Sammy's, uh, you know, uh, bar or whatever, beach bar, canteen in St. Louis. And his son sang, was a guest appearance, Aaron, Sammy, Aaron Hagar. And, you know, it was the only time Alliance actually performed live. It was a lot of fun. We thought we'd, you know, do it in sort of like Sammy, uh, territory because, <clears throat> it was cool, me and Gary and then Aaron, whatever, and it worked out really well. But we actually performed a majority of the songs on that last record. So to answer your question, good God, uh, Robert would call me up or send me an MP3 or a tape or a CD and say, Hey, David, I just wrote these three songs. Gary's on tour with Boston. You know, maybe you can come down to the studio when you get a break and play drums and we can arrange some of these. So the first song we did that came out on Fire and Grace was a song called Time, (laughs) T-I-M-E. And that was recorded. uh, I played the drums on that, the first version, in 2010. Then I lived with it for a while. We played a few other songs. Then Gary would send stuff, you know, this is the Internet age, right? He'd send guitar parts. With like a like, like on a DVD, and Robert could bounce it down to the recording. But when we did this, you know, we we would create material from all over the country. But when it came to record, we he would set aside time in his studio, Soundtech, 
and I just lived up the road an hour and Gary would fly out and, and like you know stay in San Jose and the three of us would get together now this last record God bless him Fitz was not involved I won't go into all that he's had some you know problems you know some uh, you know personal things happening in his life and he was not up mm -hmm. to doing it you know it was nothing like we didn't want him you know uh, but you know Fitz is brilliant too I mean this, this guy could talk an hour about him easily but anyway uh, it was like piecemeal it was like 2010 Robert sent me a couple songs then I did some recording with Robert with another band and he go hey by the way when you're since you got your drums set up listen to this song called Heroes whatever that kind of thing then sure. I wrote a couple songs and you know I gotta say I'm really thrilled uh, to use an old term word I actually wrote a couple songs uh, some stuff was going on really nice for me at that time in my life and I wrote a song called Good Life and then Robert added to it He actually we co-wrote it uh, I actually got some material on this record so I was really jazzed about that but all this stuff kind of like came together over almost a 10 year period you know and then we would say, God, we, we'd had all the demos finished probably, I'm going to say, four years ago. But we could not seem to, we were all so busy, we couldn't really come in the studio and finish it. In other words, the songs were written. Right. We had played all the parts and stuff, kind of like demos. What's right. nice about this, though, i got to say this as a musician, you can live with it. So I played Time in 2010, but in 2013, uh, I redid it, I think, and made it better. I begged Robert. I said, Robert, I think I can play the drums better on this. I've been listening to it, and I liked it. It was one of my favorite songs. It, it is probably my favorite. Right. I don't know why, but the song, just I dig it. I dig the acoustic guitar. has like a Who vibe to it or whatever, like Tommy. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> this record... We really got to live with it. I mean, whether we liked it or not, you follow me. So yeah, a lot it, of times was that a challenge not to? Was it me? a challenge not to pick? Was it a challenge not to over critique it because you had so much time with that's it? That's a good you question. Know? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, yes and no. I the last like I don't know when we finished the record. It was like uh, we did it uh, last winter i mean we, we were in the studio god it's a blur like i said just six months ago is when the record was finished i mean the whole thing i definitely li we listened to every we had more songs we could actually put out a triple record because it's 10 years but we the mm -hmm. three of us took a vote it was very democratic we, we had like a, a system one through five five being great one being neat and you know the, every song on this record was like a four or a five that's how much material we had. Uh, so, like the song Fire and Grace, I'll say this. This is the truth. That song was cut in one take with me and Gary in a room together. All the lyrics weren't written. Gary had the riff. I came up with some ways to arrange it on the spot. We ran it, and... There's a lot of I don't know how much how hip you are to music, but there's little simple breaks and like one time it goes dan 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 dan, 
then the second time it goes da 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 whatever. I was looking mm -hmm. at Gary trying to I don't know if I can say the word F on the radio, but I'll say I was trying to yeah. mess with him. I was laughing, yeah. having a good time. And he screwed some of them up. In other words, I played some of the fills, uh, the signature things in the arrangement different because we were just jamming. He just went in, listened to what I did when he screwed up, and then he played, you know, he punched in. But that song right. was done one take in the room, spontaneous, the drums. I did not fix anything. You know, it's, I didn't play anything outrageous, kind of like Led Zeppelin right. Presence Records, kind of like Achilles' Last Stand <laughs> or whatever. But anyway, uh, I didn't. I thought, whoa, this has got really got a vibe. I don't want to mess with this. I don't want to recut it. I can't play it the same way. That's a good example of of just letting your ego go and saying, you know what? There's a little magic here because we produce ourselves. You know, I tend to be more picky than Robert. I go, oh no no, and you go, David, no, you're not changing the drums. <laughs> but uh, that song yeah. was untouched but there are other songs like time where i literally begged robert to please look i'll come down in your spare time i know what i want to play on this and it was just a way to make it feel better it wasn't like a fancy lick or anything uh you just right. live with it you know i mean there's That's a lot like, of great records go ahead does i think one of the things that, that is somewhat tricky in music anymore because of the fact that you know everything is digital you can punch in so much easier than you could in, you know, 1973 when you were making an album. <laughs> that it, And, you know, especially when you're doing it in, you know, Robert's studio, so you're not, you know, you're not maybe paying what you did unless Robert's a genius in billing you guys, um, that you're not paying what you did when you made your first album in 91 per hour in the studio, that, you know, sometimes... You know, you know, you don't have a clear start and an end to a project like that. So sometimes it's easy to just analyze it to death, and right. you know, end up ruining, you know, what might be the feel of a take because you know somebody heard one little imperfection, so you keep doing it over and over and over again, and then it becomes very sterile. And that's, you know, something I think that that's would be so tricky in music these days because of what technology allows you to do. Um, you know, to to kill the feel of a song. You know, when it's great to hear. You know, you know when you're talking about fire and grace, that you you felt it when you recorded, it and you didn't want to lose the feel. And that's, no, that's a mean, wonderful thing to hear. I gotta tell you, John, I'm impressed. Do you play an instrument? Uh, I, I'm a hack at a several, but a hack. No, you know, I mean, you, you, I, you, trust you're, me. You're speaking our language. I mean, this here's the deal. Pro, you, you know what Pro Tools are, and most people mm -hmm. out there maybe yeah. they don't know, but uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, because we, uh, you know, we live so far apart, and if we come up with a, a rough idea, the editing process, now most of the editing we did wasn't fixing the feel, in other words, not going in and right. literally taking my kick drum and moving it on the grid, meaning, right. oh, that's a little behind, let's push that forward. Most of what right. we're playing is what we played but the beauty of the pro tools is from a creative standpoint or computers is i can say to robert you know what say i write a song i go i really want to put another verse in i you know and i don't i, I don't have time to come down and whatever so he can copy and paste 
what I played on the first yeah. verse and just add it. Now, is that dishonest? Right. I don't think so. Frank, that's that's state of the art. I mean, that's what's everything you hear on the radio today. I guarantee that that's going mm -hmm. on. You know, but it's funny you bring back in nineteen whatever when I recorded. I can't drive fifty-five, for instance. That was take three, mm. meaning yeah, okay, man. that was good. Do another one, <laughs> you know. And it was a band in a room that had re rehearsed the material for the record for a week or two. After right. you know, first you demo it out, you figure out okay, these are the songs we're going to play. That was the old days. Alliance did not rehearse to do this record. There's no way, you know. We got together after yeah. listening to our demo. Most of that record was me playing by myself to what those guys, like what Robert had sung or put a scratch vocal mm -hmm. down and maybe a keyboard. Is it us playing live? Yes. Are we all in the room at the same time exactly? No. You know, uh, just, that's, right. you know, but we all pretty much, we've known each other for good God, 30 years. Uh, it's like, it's like the ghost is in the room. There's, it is us. Yeah, playing, you, you know? <clears throat> and you know what the other guys want from what you're doing, and you know what you want from what they do. I mean, there's, right. you know, you're not three total strangers because you know there is certainly a flood of albums, you know, that are sort of call them all-star bands, but I don't like to use the word bands because they're essentially musicians who may have never actually physically got together to to make some of these albums. Right. And I think there's a difference when you're dealing with, you know, you've been dealing with these same musicians for. You know, since 1991, you know, Gary, you've been playing with since, you know, probably 19, what, 83, 82, something like that. You know, you know 80, each other's musicians. <laughs> yeah, I was trying, trying to make it the, a little shorter than possible. But I yeah. know, I know. I mean, I, no, I I mean just... you know, there's, there's a chemistry there that, you know, even though, you know, there's a country in between you, the technology allows you to continue to work together where, you know, your location may not. Um, you know, it's certainly different than if you just called up some random guitarist on the internet and said, you know, I'm going to send you a drum track, lay something down on top of it in this key, and, you know, here's a rough scratch of a melody for a vocal for a singer that you never met, and, and you know, kind of gluing these songs together. Right, um, right. You know, it's it's a certainly oh, a different process. It, it, definitely a team effort. This this when it says produced by us, I'm I'm so proud of yeah. this because. I have just the drummer syndrome, like he's just the drummer, and I gotta say, mm -hmm. from, from, a, from a drummer standpoint, now when I work with Sam, Sam gave me total freedom, everything that I came up with on all those early records and even the later ones, 90% of it was, was how I interpreted his songs or, or the ideas of mm -hmm. somebody's song, it was really fun, really, in, in Alliance, like you say, we... I mean, you can overdo it, but we really had the freedom I did. They gave me so much latitude uh, as far as not just drumming, but, but input, like, you know, sure. lyric and stuff. We really produced, this was really a band group effort. And, uh, you know, you know, it's funny, I'm sitting here, I have a drum set in my office where we're talking right now, and I, I put mm -hmm. my leg up on the kick drum, I just kicked it, and my left baby toe's got a bloody cut on it. Damn! Uh, maybe, maybe there's a spirit here saying shut up and let John talk but anyway uh, uh, but anyway uh, it totally for me at me personally this is such a 
group effort without you know no mm. pun intended you know sure, uh, it, yeah. it, it, it really is three guys like Robert's stuff on his own is really a departure from what we do he's really a progressive you heard his three stuff I mean, yeah, yeah. We just, like I said, we talked to him on, on the, you know, the album he did. You know, he just completed with, you know, Carl's work. Um, you know, yeah. just in in 2018. So, and and you think of, you know, when I, and I actually had to do a double take when I saw his name in, you know, because I, I can't memorize who's in every band ever. And I was like, okay, Gary's name I recognize because I've interviewed him a few times with Boston, um, mm-hmm. and, and had a chance to meet him at, at some shows. Uh, your name, obviously, you know, I, I've been listening. To, I remember getting VOA on cassette a million years <laughs> ago. Um, but I was like, Robert Bear, Robert Bear, the name. And then I w- went, you know, I Googled the band name, and I'm like, wait a minute, I remember him. Yeah, and then it was like, wow, that's totally different than what you guys do. But that's, I think, what makes it cool. You're all bringing different things, you know, to the table, you know, when it comes to it's, that. It's, it's really like uh, from from a, like a whatever the the metaphor or whatever it's like the gravitational pull i Mm -hmm. i'm more street i'm probably the most street player i'm self-taught you know gary definitely Mm -hmm. has blues roots robert's classically Mm -hmm. trained he can play anything robert could be in a band he could be in a bunch of different bands i would have a i'd have a bit of a time i mean like i'm not a i don't consider myself Mm -hmm. a progressive drummer i have chops but you know what i mean I'm no Carl Palmer. Right. That's a different. That kind of, that's a different. Yeah. Language they speak. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we pull each other. I really, uh, frankly, I think me and Gary pull Robert into a really. It brings out a lot of his soul. Robert's a fantastic mm-hmm. singer, and I think in in the vein of what we do, it really, really his vocals shine uh, in ways that that he probably that are hip to him that, that don't pick up on, you know. It's pretty soulful. Right. It's it's kind of R&B, yeah. blues roots, you know. Whereas, you know, yeah. and Gary and I played I, a lot I of black certain. music as kids, you know. Mm-hmm. You know I, yeah, I, I will say, I mean, you guys have, have made an album with Fire and Grace. It is certainly one to be proud of, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, I, I hope for nothing but more music from you guys. Uh, you know, it would be awesome if the stars aligned and you guys could get out on the road. But I know, you know, that's not always the easiest thing to do, and it's it's kind of an economically tricky thing to do touring these days. Yeah, um, yeah, big but, time. Uh, you know, we. Look, but uh, David, I, I I know I can talk to you all day, but I, you know, <laughs> I want to let you go. I want to thank you so much for your time. Fire and Grace is available now. Um, you know, we'll we'll have the links to the purchase it um, on our website and, and thank you so much for the for the walk down memory lane on some of this stuff it's been fantastic alright my pleasure and go Steelers alright for those of you who are still with us thanks for hanging in I know it was kind of a long interview but I hope you enjoyed it uh, David uh, certainly no a shortage of words very interesting guy to talk to and really appreciated his time uh, went out of his way to stay on the line with us a long time and share some great stories about uh, Sammy Hagar days and how Alliance kind of came together so we invite you to check out Alliance's new album again the album is called Fire and Grace it's available now uh, I know you can get it on Amazon obviously you can, if you want a physical product you can get uh, digitally on iTunes Amazon Spotify all those happy places that you can get your music from so be sure to check that out if you want any information on the band you can go to robert barry's website that's robert barry 
which is spelled B-E-R-R-Y.com. You can find information about the Lions out there. So until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening. And you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com. You can email us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We are on all the major social networks. We are forward slash ironcityrocks. So you can check us out there. And uh, you can be sure to check out our concert calendar. Uh, stay in touch with our social media as we announce concerts. Uh, the moment we know, you know. So uh, we invite you to check that out as well. And until next time, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Yeah.